0: Hello, I'm Byron Reese with Kick-Home. From ultra-low-power devices using microcontrollers to complex applications using dedicated machine learning processors, AI runs on ARM. The AI revolution will transform every aspect of our future driven by disruptors like ARM and the bright minds featured on this Voices in AI podcast. Enjoy! Enjoy! This is Voices in AI, brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Jim Davies. He is a VP and a fellow and the GM of the machine learning group at ARM. ARM, as you know, makes processors. They have in fact 90 to 95% of the share in mobile devices. I think they've shipped something like 125 billion with a B, processors. They're shipping 20 billion a year, which means you, listener, probably bought three or four or five of them this year alone. So uh, with that in mind, we're very proud to have uh, Jim here. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for asking me on. Tell me, if if I did buy four or five of, of your processors, are, where are they all? I mean, a mobile devices I mentioned, are they in my cell phone, my, uh, my clock radio? Are they in my smart light bulb? Like, where would I... Where in the world are they, are they, have you secreted them?
1: It's simpler, honestly, to answer that question with where, with where they are not. Um, because we, um, because of our position in the, in the business, we sell the design of our processor to a chip manufacturer who makes the silicon chips, who then sell those on to a device manufacturer who makes the device. You know, we're a long way away from the public. Um, we do absolutely have a brand, but it's not a customer brand that people are aware of. We're a business-to-business uh, style of business, and uh, so we're in all sorts of things that people have no idea about, and that's kind of okay by us. We 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 don't try and you know get too famous or, or too above ourselves. Uh, we like the other people taking uh, quite a lot of the limelight. So yeah, all of the devices you mentioned. Um, we'll actually probably even be in uh, inside your laptop just not the big processor that that you know and love we might be in one of the little processors perhaps controlling oh i don't know the flash memory or the bluetooth or the modem if it if it's uh, if it's an lte connected uh device um but yes your uh you know your smart watch your car your disk drives your home wireless router um i i i could go on until you got seriously bored
0: so tell me this you know when i i understand that that some of the advances we've made in artificial intelligence recently are because we've we've gotten better at kind of chip design. and We do parallelism better. Uh, that's why GPUs do so well is because they can do parallel processing and so forth. But most people, when they think of machine learning, they're thinking about software that uh, that, that does all these things. Anything about neural nets and, and uh, back propagation and clustering and classification problems and regression and, and all of that. Tell me why arm has you know a machine learning group um or is that wrong that machine learning is not just primarily a software thing once you have kind of a basic hardware in place
1: oh there's about three questions there so see if i get see if i count to three so the first is um the um the the, the, the ways in which you can do machine learning are many and varied um the ways even uh, that, 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 that these things are implemented are, are quite, quite disparate. So some people, for example, believe in you know, neuromorphic hardware designs, spiking networks, that sort of thing. Um, the predominant use of neural nets is as software, as you say, they, they are software emulations of a neural network, which then runs on some sort of uh, compute device. And um, the the two things I, I'm gonna take issue with your first question, which was, it's all about Moore's law. Actually, two things have happened recently, which have changed the uptake. Um, the first is, yeah, there's lots and lots of compute power about, um, particularly in devices, but also the ready access to vast quantities of data contained in the environments in which people do the training. And, and perhaps here, I should start by saying that we view uh, training and inference as computationally completely separate problems. And so what we do at ARM is, you know, we do computing. And what does computing get done on? It gets done on processors, so we design processors. And we try to understand, to analyze, performance analyze, measure bottlenecks, etc. the way in which a particular compute workload runs on a processor so for example um originally we didn't make gpus graphics processors but along comes a time in which everybody needs a certain amount of graphics performance and whilst it is just it is a digital world it is all just ones and zeros you would never do graphics on a cpu it just makes sense because of the performance and the efficiency requirements So we're all the time analyzing these workloads and saying, well, what can we do to make our general purpose CPUs better at executing these workloads? Or what is the point at which we feel that the benefits of producing a domain-specific processor outweigh the uh, disadvantages? So with graphics, it's obvious, You know, along comes programmable graphics, and they say, right, we absolutely need a special purpose processor to do this. Video was an interesting case in point, digital video. Um, at uh, MPEG-2 with VGA resolution, not very high frame rate. Actually, you can do that on a CPU, particularly decode. Along comes the newer standards, much higher resolution, much higher frame rate and suddenly you go, oh, there's no way we can do this on a CPU. It's just too hard. It takes too much power, um, produces too much heat. So we produced a special purpose video processor which d- does encode and decode of the modern standards. So for us in that regard, machine learning, neural network processors um, are in a sense, just the latest workload. Now, when I say just, you could hear, you you know, you could hear me wave my hands around and put inverted commas around it because we believe that it is a genuinely once in a generation inflection in computing. And the reason for that is practically every time somebody takes a classical method and says, oh, I wonder what happens if I tried doing this using some sort of machine learning algorithm instead, they get better results. And so if you think of a sort of pie chart and say, well, the total number of compute cycles spent is 100%. What slice of that pie is spent executing machine learning? Then we see the slice of the pie that gets spent executing machine learning workloads, particularly inference, uh, to be growing and growing and growing. And we think it will be a very significant fraction in a few years' time. And one of the things, as I said, that that 125 billion chips is all of these devices at the edge. Um, Yes, there are people doing machine learning today in data centers and typically training is done next to these vast quantities of training data, uh, which tends to exist in hyperscale data centers. Um, but the inference uh, of the machine learning is most useful when done right next to the test data. And if, for example, you're trying to recognize things in video, you know, uh, computer vision or something like that, the chances are that camera is out there in the wild. It's not actually in, directly connected to your hyperscale data center. And so we see an absolute explosion of machine learning inference moving to the edge. And th- there's very sound reasons for that. Um, yes, it's next to the data that you're trying to test, but it's it's the laws of economics, it's the laws of physics and the laws of the land. Um, physics says there isn't enough bandwidth in the world to transmit your video image up to Seattle and Having interpreted and then send the results back, you would physically break the internet there just isn't enough bandwidth um and there's and there's cost implications with that as well as as well as the uh, power costs. The cost implications are huge. Google themselves said if everybody used their Android voices system for three minutes per day, then they would have to double the number of data centers they own i mean that's That's huge. That is a lot of money, Um, and you know we're used to user experience latency issues, which obviously would come into play. But at the point at which you're saying, well, actually, rather than identifying the picture of the greater spotted woodpecker um, on my cell phone, I'm actually trying to identify a pedestrian in front of a fast-moving car. That latency issue suddenly becomes a critical reliability issue and you you really don't want to be doing it, sending it remotely. And then finally, privacy and security, the laws of the land. People are becoming increasingly reluctant to have their personal data um, spread all over the internet, and and rightly so. And so if I can have my personal data interpreted on, on my device, and if I really care, I just have to smash my device to smithereens with a hammer, and I know full well that that data is then safe, then I feel much more comfortable, I feel much more confident about committing my data to that service and getting the benefit of it, whatever that service is. So I can't now remember what your three questions were, but I think I've addressed them.
0: Absolutely, so machine learning, you know, I guess at its core is let's take a, a bunch of this data, which as you said, our ability to collect it uh, as as, as Gone up faster, arguably, than Moore's law. Let's take a bunch of data about the past. Let's study it, and let's project that into the future. How, what do you think, yeah. practically speaking, are the limits of that? Do you, I mean, at the, at the far edge, do you eventually could, in theory, could you point a, a machine, you know, a generalized learner at the internet, and then it could it could write Harry Potter? Um, like, where where does does it break down? I mean, we all know kind of the use cases where it excels, but where do you think it? It's unclear how you would apply that methodology to to a problem set.
1: So, whilst I said that almost every time anybody applies a machine learning algorithm to something, they get better results. I think the I'll use a word creative. For one for of a better phrase, where, where where the creative arts are concerned, I think there is the, the I think there is the hardest fit there. And and personally, I have great doubts about whether we have indeed created um, something intelligent, or or whether we are in fact you know creating very useful automatons. Um, and, and to me, the difference between that would be whether, um, you know, creating even, I mean, there have been occasions, they have created music and they have created books, but it tends to be rather pastiche, uh, creation of, of very much along a genre. I don't see, I, I don't, I personally, I've not yet seen any evidence to suggest that, you know, we're in danger of, um, a truly sentient, intelligent creation producing something new.
0: It's interesting that you would say we are in danger of that, not we are excited about that. So you, you. Oh, sorry that
1: no, no, no. That that is that is just my yeah, my vocabulary.
0: Fair enough. I'm, I'm so,
1: not in general
0: very afraid
1: of these things.
0: Fair enough. So I, I would tend to agree with you about creativity, but let me take. Let me take uh, what, it, what I would argue, I mean, and I agree when, when you, can, you can study Bach and make something that sounds passably like it, you can, you can auto-generate sports stories and all of that, and, and I don't think any of it, but makes the grade as being, quote, creative. And, and that's, of course, a challenge, because not only is intelligence not, doesn't have a consensus def- definition, but creativity even less so. The, if, if people had to hold out one example Of a machine being creative right now given today 2018 they might say game three of the AlphaGo tournament between AlphaGo and Lee Sedol move 37 where uh he's in in the middle of this game computer makes move 37 and all the live commentators are like what and and the 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 DeepMind team scrambling to figure out, like, what was this move? And they looked, and they said the chances a human pl- AlphaGo said the chances a human player would make that move are about one in ten thousand. So it was clearly not a not a move that was a human would have made. And then as they've taken that system and trained it on itself to play itself in games over and over, and it plays things like chess, it's now described as its moves are described as alien chess because they're not trained on on human moves. Would you say? without necessarily knowing a lot of the particulars. Would you say that is nascent creativity or is that something that simply looks like creativity? It's emulated creativity, but it isn't really creativity. Or, or is there a difference between those two ideas?
1: Very personally, I don't call that creativity. I just call that exploring a wider search space. Um, we are creatures of very much of habit, of cultural norms, um, there are just things we don't do and don't think about doing. And um, once you uh, once you produce a, a machine to do something, it's not bound by any of those. It will learn certainly from your training data, and it will say, "Okay, you know, uh, these are things that I know to work." Um, but also, it is it has that big search base to uh, execute in to try out. I mean, effectively, most machine learning programs uh, when, when used in the wild, for real like that, are uh, the results of lots and lots and lots of simulation and experimentation having gone on before. And it will, have, it, will have, it will have observed, for example, that playing what we would call alien moves is actually a very good strategy when playing against humans.
0: Fair enough. They so, am not
1: and they tend to lose.
0: Right. So, am, am I hearing you correctly that you are saying that the narrow AI we have now, which, which we still have lots to go on and it can do all kinds of amazing things, may be something fundamentally different than a general intelligence. We may not have even, that it isn't an evolutionary path to a general intelligence. But the, the general intelligence only shares that one word, but is a completely different technology. Am I am I hearing that correctly or not?
1: Yes, I think you're largely hearing it correctly. As for someone who makes a living out of predicting technological strategy, I'm actually rather conservative as to how far out I make predictions. And people who talk knowledgeably about what will happen in, you know, 10, 20 years time, I think on the whole, um, are either braver, more cleverer, or, um, or, or, or making it up than I am. Because I think we can see a path to from where we are today to really quite amazing things. But I wouldn't classify them as true intelligence or truly creative.
0: So one concern, you know, if you're building all these chips and they're going in all these devices... And we, we've had kind of this duel between uh, you know the the, the people who, the, the black hats and white hats in the computer world of making viruses and attacking things. And then they, they find a vulnerability and then it's patched and then they find another one and then that's countered and so forth. There's a broad concern that the kind of IoT devices that we're embedding, for instance, your chips in, aren't upgradable. And so that when a, uh, and, and they're manufactured in great numbers. And so when a vulnerability is found, there's no counter to it. Is that you know like how on your on your worryo meter how high does that rate and is that an intractable problem and how might it be solved in the future?
1: Security in end in in end devices is something that Arm um, has has taken very seriously and we we published a security manifesto last year um, where you know, being able to upgrade things and, and download the latest security fixes and so on was was, was a part of. So we, we, we do care about this. Um, it's a problem that exists whether or not we put machine learning intelligence, uh, machine learning capabilities into those end devices. I mean, the biggest problem probably for most people's homes at the moment is their broadband router. Sorry, router. American audience. (laughs) Um, And uh, that's, you know, that's got no ML capability in it, it's just routing packets. Um, And so uh, it's a problem we need to address come what may. The addition of machine learning capabilities in uh, these and other devices actually I think gives us the possibility for considerably more safety and security because a machine learning program can be trained to spot anomalous activity. So just as, you know, if if I write a check uh, for £50,000, my bank is very, very likely to ring me up. Sorry, for the younger audiences who don't know what a check is, we'll explain that later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it would be anomalous and they would say, okay, that, that's not on, that's unusual. Similarly, we can do that in real time using machine learning monitoring systems uh, to analyze network data. and say, well, actually, you know, that looks wrong. I don't believe he meant to do that. So, in, in general, I'm an optimist that the machine learning revolution uh, Will we, we, we'll help us more than hinder us here.
0: Yeah, and that that raises another another point. That same system that said that check was not good is probably looking at a bunch of variables, right? Your history of all of the checks you've written in the past, who it was made payable to, where it was, what time of day. There's all of all kind of like all these different data inputs, and it makes some conclusion that you know, yay or nay, flag this, don't flag it. When that same yep. methodology is applied to an auto loan or home loan or, or so, so forth. And it says, give them the loan, don't give them the loan. Uh, European law says, you know, th- that the person is entitled to an explanation. Why it said that? And, and do these, is, is that, is that fair and is that a hindrance to systems where you might look at it and say, well, it's, it, we don't, we don't know. I mean, it's, it flagged it because it looks like other ones that were fraudulent, and uh, and beyond that, we don't, we can't offer a lot of insight. What, is, what are what What are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I think this is an absolute minefield, and I'm not going to give you a very uh, sensible answer on this. It is clear that a number of people uh, implementing such systems will want keep the decision-making process a secret because that is actually their trade secret. That is their commercial secret source, And so actually opening these boxes up and saying, well, it decided to do this because of X, Y, and Z is something that they are not going to want to do. Equally with some uh, machine learning systems that are based on um, you know, learning rather than based on if-then-else uh, rules-based systems. It's going to be genuinely hard to answer that question, which if somebody rings up and says, "Why did you do that?" it is going to be genuinely hard for that for that service provider, even if they wanted to to answer that question. Now that that that's me as a technologist just answering what is and is not physically possible stroke hard me as a consumer, I, yes, I, I, I want to know if somebody says, well, you know, I think you're a bad risk or um, actually, you know, in life insurance terms, I think you're going to die tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I, I really want to know the answers to those questions. And I think I've got a right to be informed about that sort of thing.
0: So I, I'm sorry, I'm deeply conflicted on that one. As I think everyone is. I mean, that's kind of the, the challenge. <laughs> It's interesting to see how it's going to um, to play out. So, on a different on a different note entirely, um, a lot of the debate around AI and machine learning is uh, around automation, and and its effect on employment. And, and And roughly speaking, there's kind of three positions. There's the it's going to eliminate a bunch of low-skilled jobs, and you're going to have a, some level of unemployment that persists long term because there just are more people than there are low skill jobs then there's a another camp which says no no no, they're, they're gonna be able to do everything they'll write better poetry and they'll paint better paintings which it sounds like you're not part of that camp and then there's this third camp that says no 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 like any technology it fundamentally increases productivity it, it empowers people and people use it to drive higher wages and and it creates more jobs in the future we saw it with Steam and the assembly line, and even with the internet, just twenty-five years ago. What what is your thought? What, how do you think artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to and automation are going to impact employment?
1: On a global scale, I th- I tend towards your latter view, which is that actually it tends to be productive rather than um, rather than restrictive. I think that on a local scale, however, the effects can be severe. And I'm I'm of the view that the people it's likely to affect are not necessarily the ones that people expect. So for example, um, I think that we are going to have to come to terms with understanding uh, in more detail, the difference between a highly skilled occupation and a highly knowledged occupation. So if we look at what machine learning can do with a smartphone and a camera and an internet connection, uh, in terms of uh, skin cancer diagnosis, it arguably puts uh, skin cancer diagnosticians out of a job, which is a bit surprising to most people because they would regard them as very highly skilled, very highly educated. Um, you know, typically somebody in that situation would probably have ten years of um, you know postgraduate experience, yet alone all their education that got them to that point. We see uh cab drivers and, and truck drivers being you know at risk, and yet actually the man who digs a hole in the road and fixes a broken uh sewer pipe might well have a job because actually that's extremely hard to automate so I think people's expectations of who 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 wins and who loses um, in this procedure are going to be uh, probably somewhat. Uh, misguided Um, but I think yeah some jobs are clearly at great risk and the macro economy might well benefit from some macroeconomic trends here but you know as as one of your presidents said you know the unemployment rates either zero percent or a hundred percent depending on your point of view Uh, you've either got a job or you haven't and so I do think this does bring you know, considerable risks of societal change, yeah. um, but then actually, society has always changed, and you know, we've gone through many a uh, many a uh, 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 change that has had such effects. On the whole, I'm an optimist.
0: So, in the U.S. at least, and and our unemployment rate has has stayed between five and ten percent for 250 years, with the exception of the of the depression. Um, Britain is, is not the same exact range, obviously, but, but a similar relatively tight band in spite of enormous technologies that have come along, right? Like steam power yep. replacing you know, electricity, even the internet and so forth. Um,
1: well, I think both of us have probably exploited such big changes as they've been coming
0: along. Right, and wages have, have clear real wages have clearly risen over that two hundred and fifty year period as well. Do you have a sense and, and we 've seen like you just said jobs eliminated i don 't know if if I think the half life of of the work of, of, of the of the group of jobs that everybody collectively has right now is probably fifty years. I think in any fifty year period about half of them are lost. It was farming jobs at one point, manufacturing jobs at one point, and so forth. Do you have a sense that machine learning is more of the same or is something profoundly
1: Different? I'm reluctant to say it's something different. I think it's one of the bigger ones, definitely. But actually, you know, steam engines was pretty big, uh, coal was pretty big, um, the invention of the um, steam train. Um, you know, the, the, these were all pretty significant events. And so I'm reluctant to say that it's necessarily bigger than those. I think it is at least a once in a generation inflection it 's at least that big
0: and let 's talk a little bit about about human ability versus machines and and i want to so let me let me set you up with a the, with the problem, which is if you take a million photos of a cat and a million photos of a dog and you train the machine learning thing, it gets reliable at 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 telling the difference between the two and then the narrative goes, and yet interestingly, a person can be trained on on a sample size of one thing. You make some whimsical stuffed animal of some creature that doesn't exist. You show it to a person and say, find it in all these photos, and then find it if it's frozen in a block of ice or covered in chocolate syrup or or half torn or what have you. And the normal explanation for that is, well, that's transfer learning, and, and humans have a lifetime of experience with other things that are torn or covered in substances and so forth, and they're able to. Therefore, uh, transfer that learning and, and so forth. And I used to be fine with that, but recently, you know, I got to thinking about children. You could show a child not a million cats, but a dozen cats, or however many they're likely to encounter in their life up until age five. And then you can be out for a walk with them, and you see one of those minx cats, and they say, "Look, a cat with no tail," even though they've never been, you know, that there's this class yeah. of things, cats, and now. They all have tails, and that's a cat with no tail. How do you think humans are doing that? Is that innate or instinctual or or what and that should be a level we can get machines to under your view, isn't it
1: well um on the one hand i'll 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 say that. A profound area of research which is proving to produce huge results is, um, uh, it is the way in which we can now train neural networks using much smaller sets of data. Um, there's a whole field of research working uh, going on there which is proving to be very productive. On the, Against that, I'll advance you that we have no idea how that child learns. <laughs> and so, I I refuse to speculate about the difference between A and B when I've actually no understanding of A. Um, And and, and I don't wish to be difficult about this, but, you know, neuroscientists, um, applied psychologists combined, you know, that that there is some deep understanding of uh, biochemistry at the synapse level. um, And, you know, we can... We can extrapolate some broad observed behaviors which uh, make it appear as though we know how people learn. Um, But there are enough counterexamples to show that we simply don't understand this properly. Um, Neuroscience is, is, is being researched and developed just as quickly as machine learning and um, you know they need to make a lot of progress about understanding how the the brain works in reality and and up until that point I I must admit when my colleagues particularly those in the marketing department um, start talking about you know machine learning reflecting how the brain works um, I get itchy and scratchy and I <laughs> try to stop them
0: I would agree. I mean, don't you even think that neural nets are, I mean, even the appeal to that metaphor is is forced? I mean...
1: Yes, I dislike, I dislike it. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had my way, I would refer to neural networks as something else. But it, it's pointless because everybody would say, what? Oh, you mean a neural network. I, that ship has sailed. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not picking that fight. Um, I do try and keep us on the subject of... Machine learning, when we speak publicly, as opposed to artificial intelligence, and I think I might be able to win that one.
0: That's interesting. So, is your is your problem with the word artificial, or the word intelligence, or both? <laughs> uh,
1: my problem is the word is the word intelligence when combined with artificial, which implies. I have artificially created something that is intelligent. And, 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 you know, I know what intelligence is and I've created this artificial thing which is intelligent. And I'm going, well, you kind of don't know what intelligence is. You kind of don't know what learning really is. And so pre- making a claim that you've been able to duplicate this in some uh, some physically created, some man-made system
0: is... Um, uh, it's a bit wide of the mark so I would I would tend to agree but there interestingly isn't uh, consensus on that interpretation of what artificial means and there's plenty of people who believe that like artificial turf is just something that looks like turf but it isn't artificial fruit you know made of wax it's just something that looks like fruit but it really isn't and therefore artificial intelligence is something that isn't really intelligent it just is uh, okay.
1: I, and, and, if 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 I heard anyone advance that viewpoint, I would be a lot happier with the word <laughs> artificial. Right.
0: Fair enough. So, um, so there's really would would you go so far as to say? How is it people who look at how humans learn, and and try to figure out well how do we apply that in computers may be similarly misguided that that you know the the oft repeated analogy is you know we learn to fly not by emulating birds but by making the airfoil is, is that your view that even having even trying to map these things to the human brain may be more of a distraction than than useful
1: um on the whole, yes, though I think it is a it is a worthwhile pursuit for some section of the scientific community to see you know if there are genuinely parallels and and what we can learn from that but in general um, we I, I I'm a pragmatist I observe that neural network algorithms and particularly the newer kinds of networks are just a generally useful tool, and we can create systems that perform better than classical if-then-else rules-based systems. We can get better results at object recognition, for example, um, better false positives. Um, You know, they're just generally better. And so I think that's a worthwhile pursuit. And we can apply that to devices that we use every day to um, give us a better quality of life. You who know, who who hasn't struggled with the user interface on some uh, wretchedly so called smart device and and uttered the infamous phrase "What's it doing now um, because we are completely bewildered by it we we've not understood it, it hasn't understood us. We can transform that, I would argue by adding more human like interaction between the, the real world and the digital world?
0: So humans have this intelligence and you know we, we have these brains, which you point out we don't really understand. And then we have something, a mind, which however you want to think about it, it's a, it's a set of abilities that don't seem to be derivable from what we know about the brain, like creativity and so forth. And then we have this Other feature, uh, which is consciousness, we actually experience the world instead of simply measure it. Is it possible that 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 we therefore have capabilities that cannot be duplicated in a computer?
1: I think so, yes. Until somebody shows me some evidence to the contrary, that's probably gonna be my position we are um we are capable of holding ethical moral um beliefs that are um that are at variance often with our learning of the way things work in the world you know i w- we might think it is it is simply wrong to do something and we might behave in that way even having seen evidence that people who do that wrong thing gain advantage in this world i i think we're more than just the sum of our learning experiences
0: and so what is I
1: don't know that what we are but, but, but i yeah i can't explain why
0: sorry for, no for, well <laughs> you and plato um, <laughs> exactly in the same canter um, well, that's, re- really, that's really interesting and I, and I, of course, don't mean it to diminish anything that we are going to be able to do with these technologies. What? what? No,
1: I, I genuinely think we can do amazing things with these technologies,
0: so when when the can't write Shakespeare. When the debate comes up about the application of, of this technology in, let's say it's, it's used in weapon systems to make automated um, kill decisions. Which you know, some people will do no, no matter what. I mean, I guess I guess a landmine is an artificial intelligence that makes a kill decision based on the weight of an object. I mean, so in in a sense, it's 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 not new. But um, do you worry that 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 somehow, and, and you don't even have to go that extreme, that somehow the ethical implications of the action can be attempt to be transferred to the machine and you say, well, the machine made that call, not a person. In reality, of course, a person coded it, but, uh, is it, is it a, a way for humans to like shirk more responsibility for what they build the machines to do?
1: Um, all of the above. So, um, it, it, it can be a way for people to shirk responsibility for what they do, but equally we have, um, we have the capability to create technologies, tools, devices that have bad consequences. And we always have done. Since the Bronze Age, well, arguably since the Stone Age, we've been able to create axes, uh, which were really good at uh, you know, bringing down saber-toothed tigers to eat. But they're also quite useful at breaking human skulls open. Um, so we've had this all, a lot, all along. Um, You know, the invention of gunpowder, the invention of um, the discovery of atomic energy leading to, you know, both good and bad. Um, Technology and science will always create things that are morally neutral. It is people who will use them in certain ways that may have good or bad morality. I, it is my personal view so but yes i am I, I think it does introduce the possibility for more um, l- less less well controlled things and it, and it it can be benign would well, not benign it can be much less scary you know it may not be uh, automated killing by drone um, it may be um car ADAS systems. Um, you know, the traditional sort of, do I, do it, you know, I've got to swerve one way or the other. I'm unable to stop. If I swerve that way, I kill a pensioner. If I go that way, I kill a mother and baby. Um,
0: Right. The trolley problem, you know, but the trolley, problem. the trolley trolley problem, the trolley problem is, um, you know, if you push it to the logical extreme of things that might actually happen, you know, should the AI prevent you from having a second helping of dessert? Uh, because that statistically increases, you know, should it prohibit you from having the celebratory cigar after after, after something. Um, let, let's talk about hardware for a moment. Every year or so, I see a headline that says, is it the end of Moore's Law? And I have noticed in, in my life that any headline phrased as a question, the answer is always no. But, <laughs> well, otherwise that would be the headline. It, the Moore's Law it's is the over. Or um, lead <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's always got to be no. Um, so my question to you is: Are we nearing the end of Moore's law? And part B of the same question is: What are physical constraints? I've, I've heard you talk about you know you start with the amount of heat it can dissipate, then you work backward to wattage, and then all of that. What are the the fundamental physical laws that you're running up against as we make better, smaller, faster, lower powered chips?
1: um so in, in 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 moore's law is of course not what most people think it was he didn't actually say most of the things that um, most people have attributed to him but it, and, and in some sense it it is dead already, but in a wider applicability sense, we are finding ways to get more and more if you sort of defocus the question and 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 step out to further altitude um we are finding ways to get more and more. Capabilities out of the same area of silicon year on year, and the introduction of domain-specific processors like machine learning processors is is very much a feature of 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 that. You know, so you know, I can get done in my machine learning processor at, at two square millimeters what it might take. You know. 40 square millimetres of some other type of processor. So um, all all of uh, technology development has always been along those lines where we can find a more efficient way to do something. We we generally do, and there are generally useful benefits either uh, in terms of use cases that people want to pay for, or in terms of economies where it's actually cheaper to to, it, it's a cheaper way of providing a particular piece of functionality. Um, so, in that regard, I'm optimistic. If you were talking to one of my colleagues who works very much on the future of silicon. Uh, silicon processes he'd probably be much more bleak about it saying oh this is getting really really hard and it's indistinguishable from science fiction i can count the number of atoms on a on a transistor now and that's all going to end in tears and then you say well okay maybe silicon gets replaced by something else maybe it's quantum computing maybe it's photonics um, there are often technologies in the wings waiting to supplant you know a technology that's run out of steam
0: so, your point taken about the misunderstanding of Moore's Law, but but Kurzweil's broader observation that there's a power curve, an exponential curve, about the cost to do some number of calculations that he believes uh, has been going on for 130 years across five technologies. It started with uh, mechanical computers, then to, then to relays, then to tubes, then to transistors, and then to the, yep. the processors we have today. Do you accept? some variant of that that somehow, on a predictable basis, our pow- the, the power of computers as an abstraction is doubling?
1: Um, maybe not doubling every whatever it used to be, 18 months or something like that. But um, through the use of things like special purpose processes like ARM um, is producing for to run machine learning, um, then then yeah, actually we we kind of do because when you move to something like a special purpose processor that is oh I don't know 10x 20x 50x more efficient than the previous way of doing something then you get back you know you get back some some more gradient in the curve you know the curve might have been might have been slackening off and then suddenly you get a, a steepness increase in the curve
0: again and then you mentioned quantum computing is that something that Arm is thinking about it and looking at, or is it so far away from the application to my smart hammer that it's... Um... Um,
1: yeah, it, it's, it's something we look at, but to be honest, we don't look at it very hard because it is still such a long way off. Um, I, it's, it's, not, it's probably not gonna bother me much. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, there are enough smart people throwing enough money at the problem that if it, is fi- if it is fixable, you know somebody will, particularly with governments and cryptography behind it. Um, there are such national security gains to be made from solving this problem that the money supply is effectively infinite. You know, quantum computing is not being held back by lack of investment,
0: huh. trust me. So final question, uh, I'm, I'm curious, where you come down on the net of everything. So on the one hand, you have these, this technology and it's, it's all of its potential impact, all of its, areas of abuse and privacy and security and war and, and automation and or that's not abuse but you have all of these kind of concerns and then you have all of these hopes it increases productivity and and helps us solve all of these intractable problems of humanity and so forth w- where are you net net on everything uh, and i know you don't predict 20 years out but do you do you predict directionally like uh i think it's going to net out on the on the plus side or the minus side
1: i think it nets out on the plus side but only once people start taking security and privacy issues seriously at the moment it's seen as something of an optional extra and people producing you know really quite dumb devices at the moment like oh i don't know radiator you know radiator valves so oh it's nothing to do with me i mean i've got no, you know who care? who cares i'm just a radiator valve manufacturer and you say, well, yeah, actually, but you know, if uh, if I can determine from Vladivostok that uh, your radiators are all programmed to come on at this time of day, and you switch the lights on, and you know, you switch the lights off at this time of day, I've just inferred something really quite important about your lifestyle. And so, I think that getting security and privacy to be taken seriously by everybody who produces smart devices, um, particularly where those devices start to become connected and forming sort of islands of privacy and security, such that you go, okay, well, you know, I'm prepared to have this information shared amongst the radiator valves in my house. I'm prepared to share it with my uh, central heating system. I'm not prepared to send it to my electricity company. Or, you know, or something like that. But, interse- you know, intersecting rings of security. and People only have the right to see the information they need to see. And people will care about this stuff and control it sensibly. And you might have to delegate that trust. You might have to delegate it to your manufacturer of home electronics. You say, okay, well, they're a reputable name. I trust them. I'll buy them because clearly most people can't be experts in this area. But as I say, I think people have to care first, at which point they'll pay for it, at which point manufacturers will supply it and compete with each other to do it well.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for a wide-ranging um, hour-long discussion about all of these topics. And thank you for your time. Thank you very much. It was fun. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to learn more about the latest innovations in AI and machine learning, we recommend that you visit our friends at ARM at arm.com. That's A-R-M dot com.